Hello, and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast number 206. My name is John, and with me is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hey, good morning. Yeah, good morning. So uh, we are going to talk today about Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 3, The Streets of Mos Espa. Um, But uh, before we do that, Ryan, you're going to talk about some Star Wars literature that you Mm. have uh, picked up and been reading lately. So um, that'll be a nice little intro here to the episode. So tell us about the the, the Star Wars books that you've been uh, you've been reading. Yeah, so I'm gonna be like spoiler free about the um, first two things here, and then the last one uh, doesn't really have spoilers. Um, but I did finish uh, the High Republic Fallen Star, um, and just like my kind of overall impressions um where i felt like it was good um and like an important part of the story but it just it felt way too long uh for the story that it was telling um like there was a moment where uh i read a section and it it like felt like deja vu and I thought like I had lost my page or something. And I was like rereading a page I already read. And then I realized like, no, this is just like the same thing kind of happening (laughs) again. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of the, the vibe of the book to me. Um, It just, it feels like it would have been a lot, it could have been a lot tighter and a stronger story if it was like maybe 50, 75 pages shorter. Um, But it's like, it's kind of one of those things. Like it's a super important part of high Republic. Like the stuff that happens is huge, but it also just, it felt so like so labored and stretched out. I don't know. Maybe other people didn't. Yeah. Maybe other people didn't feel the same way. I haven't actually looked at any other reviews, but that was just the, the vibe I got. Mm, Um, Rare, rare, rare miss for uh, Claudia Gray then for you. It is. It is. I'm like a massive fan of everything she's done in Star Wars so far. Um, Mm. Like she wrote my favorite Star Wars book ever. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, I just, it's, yeah, I don't know. It just, it felt just felt too long mm. for the story that was being told. And there were just, there were some parts that just didn't really feel like they needed to be in there and didn't really, you know, keep the story moving. And it's hard when you have like, you know, a very high stakes story where anything could happen, uh, like really kind of stretched out <laughs> um, sure. and kind of meandering a lot. Um, it just really killed the momentum. So bummer. Okay. Well, I haven't yeah. read that one yet, so I can't uh, can't comment. Yeah, see, and uh, I mean, maybe you'll feel differently. I'm I'm curious how other people um, felt about this one. Um, to me, it was probably the weakest of the High Republic books um, so far for me. Um, but others may. Feel otherwise so uh sure. yeah if, if you've read it like just uh send me a dm or a twitter message or something and let me know what you think or you know send the show a message whatever mm-hmm. yeah 
Um, the other two things um, I've read this week, I have absolutely loved, though. Um, so, uh, I have the storm issue one. This is the Marvel comics, um, series written by Charles soul. That is the, uh, the origin of, oh crap. Is it Markian row <laughs> or Marcian? Markian. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just had to second guess myself. That's what my gut says. And then mm. I'm always second guessing. Um, yeah, it's the, the origin of Markian Rowe. And um, I know you had exp- expressed some concerns that it would kind of, you know, maybe feel a bit like the the rise of Kylo Ren where, you know, they promised this like really in-depth look at, you know, the origin of this character and then like kind like kind of did that, but like could have could have gone further. Um, mm-hmm. I would say this one like even in the first issue delivers a ton. Mm. Like I'm, you know, it, some of it is stuff we already knew from, uh, light of the Jedi in particular. Um, it does feel like, you know, when soul introduced Mark Yonro in light of the Jedi, um, you know, he did give us a little bit of like background, but like this just really fleshes it out and tells, um, you know, a lot more about his family situation, his people, uh, which really wasn't touched on at all um, in the books. And uh, yeah, I actually like <laughs> it. It felt like such a complete issue and it's such a complete story. I'm kind of like, how are they doing more issues of this? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I highly recommend People grab that if you're reading High Republic comics, because um, I, I I thought it was really good. Yeah, cool. Um, I'll have to go check that out. Uh, yeah, I, I did express some skepticism, but I'm trying to be all in on High Republic, so I will uh, for sure check it out. And it's good to hear that that, uh, that you enjoyed the first issue that much. Um, do you know? Uh, I'm sure you do know. Is um is High Republic issue 13 out yet, or no? Oh geez, I don't know. Um, well, you probably have it if it was out of it, right? So uh, yeah, I would because I just went to the comic shop. Yes, yeah. So not um, out yet, but yeah, I don't remember. I guess twelve was probably the last one I read, but that was like that was a few weeks ago. So it's probably this week. Yeah, I was just thinking like maybe maybe I'll go Wednesday when that comes out. If that comes out Wednesday, and then I'll try to get uh, the first issue of Eye of the Storm as well. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then the other thing I picked up is the uh, unfortunately titled uh, Star Wars Tribute to Star Wars. Um, you know, we kind of uh, kind of dunked on that title when it was revealed. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of thought they would put a little more context to it. <laughs> um, but no, uh, it is. Like the cover just says Star Wars tribute to Star Wars and the back cover has no blurb on it. (laughs) So it does not tell you any it doesn't give you any indication of what this book actually is. And that's just kind of baffling to me. I was going to ask if uh, Square Enix was involved in naming this book or (laughs) um, what the deal is there, but project tribute to star wars yeah 378 divided by two 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really unfortunate because I think people are just going to like really just pass this book by because yeah. it just it seems like, oh, this is just some like, you know, indulgent fan art thing. Um, like, who cares? Um, but and it's got a really high cover price um, for for the size. Um, it is uh, 25 bones uh-huh. and it is like. Oh, 96 uh, pages. Yeah, less than 100 pages. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a bummer. I think this uh, <laughs> this book has a real uphill battle. <laughs> um, but I want to, you know, I want to be here to cheer this book on because it completely kicks ass. It's so hmm. good. Um, it's basically um, manga artists, um, you know, doing a doing Star Wars art. And like basically the way it's set up is there's a page on the artist um, and then it gives you like some background, like what are some of their notable works? You know, what's their um, history? And then also they wrote a blurb about the piece that they uh, that they they made. And, you know, some of them are like just, you know, some of there's like some like legit like high art in here um that's just like incredible and then some things are just like cute and silly um you know it kind of runs the gamut of what you'd expect out of like japanese manga art but Mm. you have you know you have like the artists who draw like the the legend of zelda manga and so there's like a part where they're like talking about zelda and about luke skywalker and mm-hmm. it's just awesome. Um, but I want to share uh, one of my favorite blurbs. Uh, this is uh, Daisuke Kimura. And uh, they drew uh, Darth Maul. Um, and I just wanted to read you this because I thought it was like so delightful. Mm. My first introduction to the series was the 1999 film Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. There were many great things about it, but what really made a vivid impression on me was how good Darth Maul looked. As you know, his face is red, black, and scary. (laughs) Moreover, he's got pretty gross teeth. (laughs) At the time, I didn't really get it and wondered if he drank a lot of coffee or tea. (laughs) Maybe tea. (laughs) Since I liked him so much, I wished I could brush brush his teeth for him. (laughs) I do appreciate this opportunity to draw Darth Maul. Thank you. Oh, wow. That's that's very wholesome. That's yes. So there's like there's all kinds of just like really cool, wonderful stuff in this book. Um, I think it sucks that the, the cover and the title don't indicate like what it is. Um, Mm. because I think this is something people would really like, you know, especially coming off visions and, you know, the generally, uh, extremely positive reaction, um, that, that received from, from Mm. the fans. Um, and I think the, the price is a bummer too. Um, and I think that will probably turn turn a lot of people off, um, you know, because we're kind of ex- we're kind of used to getting these like giant art of books that are like, you know, 300 pages and they're, you know. Have a $50 cover price, but are on sale for 20 bucks constantly. Um, sure. 
And uh, yeah, this is this is not not it, but it is something like so wholly unique in Star Wars books, you know, compared to the stuff we, you know, can kind of always be expecting to get. Um, This is uh, really special. And I hope people, uh, you know, give it a chance at the price that, you know, makes sense for you. Right on. Okay, cool. I will uh, keep an eye out for that one. Sounds pretty, um, pretty cool. Uh, there is an image of Darth Vader with his helmet off, sitting on a uh, little chair um, with uh, an Ewok standing next to him, like pointing to something in the distance, and then like some roosters down at the bottom of the uh, the image. So that's a a creative uh, kind of a unique image there. That's just one of the samples on the Amazon listing that I took. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, definitely some, um, some unique stuff in there. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place and it's also like, um, you know, there's stuff from like Ewok adventures and like one of the artists talks about how, how that was their introduction to star Wars and mm. um, you know, there's sequel trilogy stuff. There's an amazing, you know, Ray, art in here um there's some like awesome manga rogue one stuff like it just it you know it covers everything and uh it's fantastic sweet um sounds good okay cool so uh let's jump into the book of boba fett then um like i said uh, at the top of the episode this this uh third episode released earlier in the week it is again directed by Robert Rodriguez, written by John Favreau, and uh, it is titled "The Streets of Mos Espa." So, um, why don't we do general impressions here at the top, and then um, we'll kind of go through um, section by section of the episode. Cool. Had to sneeze. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll kick it off. I will say that um, as far as uh, episodes of the show go. Um, I think this is my second favorite of the three so far. Um, that second episode last week, I think, really demonstrated the potential uh, for this series and how good it can mm-hmm. be. And uh, this one is not really at that level for me for a couple of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But I did like it a lot. And, uh, you know, I did like the first episode a lot, too, after I went back and watched it a second time. But Something about that one, um, it's kind of a slow burn and I feel like it doesn't quite have the same level of payoff um, and intrigue and, and stuff that the uh, the next two episodes have had. So, um, yeah, it was uh, I was really riding uh, a book of Boba Fett High last week after Chapter 2 came out. <laughs> um, and so this one had a, a tall competition, big competition. Uh, it was a tall order to compete with last week's episode, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I still enjoyed um, almost all of it. And then there's a couple things that, uh, I, well, there's one thing, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about in depth, but there's one component of this episode that was like amusingly bad and weird to me. Um, (laughs) but it didn't really like, you know, detract from my overall enjoyment of the episode too much, but, uh, it's a, certainly a a bit of a head scratcher and, uh, kind of weird. So, um, yeah, that's my take on, on the streets of Moses, but what did you think about this episode, Ryan? Um, I would say it's, I probably enjoyed it as much as the first episode, um, Mm. which is not terribly much. (laughs) 
um, <laughs> to, uh-huh. to be honest. Yeah. Uh, didn't love it. Um, and I think it was just like a massive, massive step back um, after after the second episode where I thought we were, you know, really kind of kind of going somewhere um, with with this story. And I mean, like, yes, the story like moves forward, like there's plot that like continues in this episode, but I think uh, more of more on the like artistic integrity side of things. Uh, we're kind of like back in the dumpster uh, with this mm-hmm. one. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back back in the Sarlacc pit. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maybe should have yeah. just stayed in there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Throwing wow. it out there. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, let's go through kind of the the major pieces of uh, of the episode and kind of just talk about it uh, section by section here. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up with uh, with a little meeting between uh, Boba Fett. Vanek Shand and uh, uh, well, first eight D eight who um, was you know cracking some jokes there, or he wasn't really cracking jokes, I guess, but uh, had a few little comedic moments there that I thought were were uh, were kind of funny. Um, you know, talking about how uh, Boba or I'm not Boba Fett, but uh, Jabba the Hutt is uh, uh, you know he who should not be spoken of and uh, and all that stuff, and and it provided uh, Tamor Morrison a chance to be kind of deadpan, uh, funny, I thought. So, um, kind of like that. But, um, then, uh, we get this like water huckster salesman guy coming in mm-hmm. and, uh, played by Steven Root, who is one of those actors where I know him like immediately. I'm like, Oh, I love this guy. I've seen him in a million things. Um, but I really could not list that many of them off the top of my head, but I know I've seen him in so much stuff. Uh, most recently he was in Barry. um, with uh bill Hader, mm. uh so and he's fantastic in that and uh yeah he's in a ton of stuff i don't know if you um you know know him from anything specific ryan or uh if you are a fan of his or um was is he wait is he the guy from office space <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's, yes, that's a good point. Yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, he comes in and he like really lays it on thick to uh, Boba Fett, saying, "Oh, I'm I'm offended for you." What's the line he uses? Uh, he says, "I'm offended for you," something like that, right? Um, anyway, he he's, he says, "Look, nobody nobody respects you." Um, Mm -hmm. the, the whole place has gone to hell, um, since Bib Fortuna died and, um, you know, you, you need to do something about it essentially. Um, so that's kind of like what kicks the, uh, the, the plot of this episode, I guess, um, in, into motion. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, I thought he was an interesting kind of character. And, uh, like I said, it was, uh, kind of a humorous and uh, straightforward way to uh, kick it all off here. Um, so he, he, he says that, uh, that you know, most Espa's gone to gone to hell. And uh, also that there's like some street gang uh, more on them later, but some street gang who is uh, sure stealing is. from him and he wants Boba Fett to, uh, to do something about it. Um, yeah. So, I think like- yeah with that exchange like i don't know there's 
like I get it, you know, kind of as a plot device, but like the there's like nothing really in the show that kind of represents that. Like, um, and I guess maybe that's just his character. Like he's lying. Um, because he's like, no one respects you. And it's like, well, there hasn't, you know, really been much to indicate that. And like the idea that like Moss Espa's like, you know, going to hell and stuff, like, I don't know, people seem fine, like selling their fruit and stuff and hanging out like when mm-hmm. when they walk around in the streets but i guess maybe that's because he's like you know a huckster and trying to you know get more money for his water and moisture yeah. and whatever stuff but well yeah i mean i would agree that like until now we really haven't seen any evidence of the of most espa being um insulted on your behalf that's what he kept saying i'm yeah. insulted on your behalf which was a funny uh-huh. way to put it yeah um it just came to me but uh yeah i don't know uh i i would say that there hasn't really been much evidence of the you know the lack of respect to boba fett or um the town being in 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 rough shape uh i think we see some further on in this episode though you know so i think they do i mean just just in the exchange with the the young gang of cybernetic people um mm-hmm. that are like well there is no work for us there's no there's no job for us like you know and this guy's like trying to like not only do we not have job a job and not only do we not have like the means to really survive without resorting to crime but you know this guy's selling water for you know it, it would cost uh what they say a, mo- a week's wages like to pay for water from this guy or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think like that scene that comes pretty quickly after this one would support the idea that, uh, that there's, you know, some discontent, I guess. I don't know if it's Boba Fett's fault or not, but that, yeah, uh, there's some discontent there. Yeah. I think like, I guess maybe my issue with that is like, they're, you know, telling that through exposition rather than it like being something we've, you know, seen throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like it doesn't, it, that's not the vibe that I had from Masespa from, you know, the first few times we, you know, saw Boba walking, walking the streets and stuff. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a, that's pretty legit. Um, they, Masespa really has not been introduced very much in the show. It doesn't feel like a place that has been explored in the show so far, I think. Um, so it is kind of weird, you know? to initially explore it by being, you know, through exposition and then, you know, him just walking up to this gang being like, well, we don't have jobs, you know, but it's like, yeah, you're the first people I've really even seen from Mos Espa, the first characters, as far as like people on the streets sort of thing. Um, Cause you, you see extras walking around in the background and stuff when he walks from point A to point B. But other yeah. than that, you've, you've just seen the cantinas and the mayor's office and, and things like that. So yeah, there's, there has not really been a sense of this as a place. Um, unlike the Phantom Menace, for instance, where, you know, you, you, you see, um, as, as Qui-Gon and and Padme are, you know, walking through the town, there's like multiple characters there that they stop and talk to. And, um, you know, I don't know, not that that, like, Mm -hmm. not that the Phantom Menace spends a ton of time, you know, characterizing that location or anything, but, um, it, it seems like, you know, you spend a little time on those streets, you see how people are living and, and, and stuff on those streets. And uh, yeah. yeah, there's not a lot of that in the show so far. 
yeah, I think like in in that case, you you get a feel for like what what do people actually do here, <laughs> like what mm-hmm. how are how are they living and stuff, and even with like you know Anakin's friends and stuff, um, you kind of get that right that that sense of like oh yeah these are these are people you know like actually living lives and doing stuff and not just like background extras. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I would agree. That's a good point. Yeah. Um... But speaking of the background extras, uh, or I guess not background extras, but speaking of the people that live there and, and what their lives are like, um, Boba Fett does, you know, he's a man of action. I think we can say that as the, mm-hmm. as the daimyo here in uh, Mos Espa, he's a man of action because um, the, the water salesman, you know, comes to him and says, look, I need you to do something about it. And later that night, he's walks right up to this, uh, this gang and is like, where'd your water come from? Um and they're like, we stole it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that does support um, the uh, the water salesman's uh, uh, claim of being ripped off or, or whatever. Uh, so we know there's there's that, that's accurate because they straight up say, yeah, we did. Um, but, you know, uh, I think like Boba Fett's reaction to that is uh, to like dig in, find out why, uh, treat these characters as people and try to understand you know, maybe why they resorted to that, which, um, you know, say what you want about Boba Fett, the uh, bounty hunter or the daimyo or whatever. But, uh, I think that's, a um, how would I put this? Uh, that, that is a process that a lot of people like skip right over. I feel like in reality, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And politicians and political groups and, you know, like, um, yeah, like a lot of times we just look at the behavior and we don't really look at the the causes or the symptoms or whatever. So uh, I think we have to give Boba Fett props for being like, okay, well, why would you seal the water, you know, and actually listening to not just the, uh, the corporate interest or he's not a corporate interest, but you know what I mean? Like the business uh, interest there, but actually listening to the people on the street struggling as well. So, you know, cool. Yeah. Boba Fett to do little, little bit of uh, restorative justice there uh, mm. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, should we talk about these, this gang of cybernetic teenagers now, um, <laughs> or later, the, do you think? The, the Bitcoin bike gang? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I've just I, been naming these episodes um, after the title of the mm-hmm. episode we're talking mm-hmm. about. So I guess I'll just stick with that, you know, for... Uh-huh consistency's sake but i kind of like bitcoin biking um as a title maybe i'll put it in parentheses <laughs> yeah i mean like yeah these uh these teens are definitely into some uh some crypto cryptocurrency <laughs> for sure well let's talk about them as characters now and then talk about like the 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 larger let's talk about the speeders and stuff later you know okay so, okay what do you think about the bitcoin bike gang as far as characters go um i mean like there there's not much characterization of them i think like and that might be part of the problem with um why there's you know a uh a some degree of like loud uproar um about about their appearance because that's basically all we have to go on is their their appearances which um are somewhat jarring 
um, mm. especially in the context of, um, you know, the sands of Mos Espa. And you've got you've generally got like people, um, you know, wearing cl- cloth robes and shawls and, you know, um, just very um, kind of utilitarian mm-hmm. uh, gear. And then, you know, we have, you know, these uh, these characters like out of like deus ex or cyberpunk 2077 um Mm. that are very kind of like flashy um and wearing you know kind of like just real world street clothes um Mm. and then also with these like um you know various cybernetic uh augmentations which are you know not the first time we've seen this kind of stuff in Star Wars. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> Luke has a cybernetic hand. Um, like, this stuff is like this is not new or shocking, but I think it's just the way the way it looks. Like, there's a lot of just like you know, there's like a really a really large gaudy eyepiece um, in there, and I think you know that kind of juxtaposed with the. Um, or may, not even juxtaposed in tandem with the kind of just modern um, street clothes, I think, uh, you know, creates a, a type of imagery that um, looks a little bit out of place, I guess. Yeah, I think ever since we first saw footage from the book of Boba Fett, you know, we and other people too, but I know you and I have been like, huh. This looks more like a TV show than The Mandalorian did or more Mm -hmm. low budget than Mandalorian did, you know, Mm -hmm. and these characters to me look straight out of like a 90s sci fi television show or something like Mm -hmm. it's so it's so like, I don't know, like low budget is the right word, but like so like mid budget, like science fiction, you know what I mean? It's it's like when a character on Star Wars or Star Trek TNG gets like turned into a Borg. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm i not like, I haven't watched very much Star Trek, like television, and I haven't watched very much, you know, I keep talking about like uh, Xena and uh, mm-hmm. what's the Kevin Sorbo character? Uh, Her, not Hercules. It, who is he? Who, who's Hercules. that guy? It yeah. is Hercules. Okay, Hercules and Xena, like those TV shows and stuff. Yeah. Um, I didn't really watch them very much, but you know, like those those kinds of shows with those kinds of budgets like come to yeah. mind immediately when I see these characters. So, cause I think there's a discussion that, you know, we've been having and I'm sure other people have been having as far as like, does this fit into star Wars? Is this, does this feel like star Wars? Is this star Wars? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one discussion. And then a whole nother discussion is like, does this look cheap? And I'm like, yeah, it looks cheap. You know what I mean? Whether it's star Wars or not, it looks kind of cheap. And like Mm -hmm. straight out of like, just like I said, like 90s TV or whatever to me. So then like for me as a thought process, I'm just like, I was talking to my brother about this yesterday and he was like, well, they have like a lot of money, right? Like Mandalorian is super (laughs) successful because, and we talked about it. Like, why is this like seemingly more low budget than Mandalorian or why does it have that look and feel? It's Uh not like they don't have the money to do the show at a, at a higher level. Um, and, uh, Uh, you know, I, I, I doubt this is the case, but like part of me is, is thinking like, do these, like, does Robert Rodriguez or, you know, other creatives involved? Are they, do they just love like 
sci-fi television? And are they looking at the book of Boba Fett as like there as an opportunity to just really like make a, a modern love letter to like nineties, like <laughs> syndicated Saturday afternoon science fiction television. Like, is that, is that something that they're trying to do? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Cause either it's that or yeah, they're just like really missing the mark and, and making something that looks kind of cheap at times. Yeah. So, um, we had, uh, you, you probably woke up to this, um, yeah, but we had yeah. a pretty, uh, pretty lengthy, uh, after, after dark, uh, mm. Star Wars discussion in our, you know, in our, in our text chain, um, last night you were, you were, uh, you must've been sleeping. Well, I was watching scream three when it was okay. going on, I think. Okay. So I didn't have the notifications coming in. Um, Good. And then when I stepped into it, there was like, there had been so much happening that, you know, I was like, well, I didn't have anything to contribute at the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but like, basically, like towards the end of the conversation, um, you know, we were talking about how, um, like, who are the next directors for this show? Because there's been mm. there's been peaks and valleys in quality. I mean, maybe like at least this is from my perspective. Um, there's been peaks and valleys in the quality of the episodes. And um, one of the upcoming directors is um, Kevin Tancharan. Mm-hmm. Tancha Rowan. Um, and uh, he is, he's done a ton of directing work on um, CW DC shows. So like the flash and Supergirl and stuff. Yeah. And um, I, I haven't like dug into that stuff a ton, but I did watch like the first season of Supergirl. And I think that is like a very good parallel to, um, you know, some, some of these episodes of book of Boba Fett, where that is like, that is a show that, um, you know, they're, uh, making do with a with a modest modest budget i guess mm. um and it feels very uh you know the i i think we you and i keep throwing around the term like oh it looks very tv um mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think like kind of at least when i'm saying that in like modern context like what that means is it's like very digital uh you know this is very apparent this is not shot on film um and you know, the, uh, you know, there's some, uh, you know, some CG in there, um, you know, not, not a ton of practical effects. Um, and you know, just, uh, uh, a very apparent limited budget, which I think, I think, you know, a, a good comparison for Book of Boba Fett is like the, the CW DC shows, um, and again, I'm not an expert on those, but I think that's kind of like the the level where we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, I would say, you know, across the board, the second chapter of Book of Boba Fett looked pretty good. And yeah. I think like that could maybe not pass as like some of like the big episodes of Mandalorian, but like that could have probably passed as like a mid season episode of Mandalorian. And so that just makes me think that like, 
it's not, it may not actually be the show. It may just be Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, which is interesting because at that point, again, like I feel like, is this like our maybe our tastes just don't match up totally? You know what I mean? Like maybe this is like exactly what he wants it to because it's just hard to believe. Like, oh, well, we just didn't have the money to make this look, you know, great or whatever. You know, like I think clearly the show has the budget and the people working on the show have the talent to make, mm-hmm. you know, science fiction, alien, whatever characters look uh, better than this gang does, you know, or, you know, to my taste anyways, better. But I think maybe like, this is what he wanted them to, this is what he was going for. This is the style and the feel that he, you know, wanted. And uh, I haven't seen the spy kids movies, but I, I know people have mm-hmm. been bringing that up um, this week because, you know, he made and directed those movies and they've got a very vibrant kind of colorful, um, I don't know what other adjectives you use to describe them, but they've got a look, you know, and uh, those are movies targeted towards kids, obviously. So I think people uh, would look at that, that style and that look and, and think, yeah, that makes sense or, you know, uh, whatever. And not, not be as critical of it as maybe I'm being of the, the look of these, these biker gang, the Bitcoin biker gang characters. Uh, and it's just, that's interesting if that's, if that's the idea. Um, Cause I would say actually like, the first episode and the third episode, most of the time it looks great. It looks really good, you know? And I think a lot of, a lot of the shots and and a lot of the quality of what I'm seeing on screen is similar to that second episode. Um, I think there's some sequences in that second episode that were directed like next level and are Mm -hmm. super, super good and, you know, exceed anything in these other two episodes, which is why I like that second episode so much. But I would say 80% of the footage in any of these three episodes, I wouldn't be able to tell you, you know, which episode it's from based on a quality thing. But it's like these key moments and these key elements that uh, have a different look. And I just wonder, like, man, maybe Rodriguez, like, he thinks this looks cool. Like, this is what he wanted it to look like. And it's not a budget thing. It's a this is what this guy's into, you know, thing. Uh, So I don't know. Yeah, I think like there's there's something it's to gotta that. be somewhere in the middle, right? Like probably I don't know. I don't know, because like I think the most recent um Roder- Robert Rodriguez thing I saw before uh you know, I guess like his his Boba Fett episode or his uh Mandalorian episode, I guess. Um but I saw uh Battle Angel Alita. Mm-hmm. Um and I know that movie has some like a very devoted, very vocal fan base. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked you're, you're god part awful. Of it. <laughs> I am not part of it. I was like shocked at how bad it looked yeah. after, um, you know, the, you know, the hype. And I like, I went into it with like a pretty open mind. Like I've read some of the manga and, you know, I like, I like the idea and I was like really happy that like, you know, James Cameron and, Robert Rodriguez had finally been able to get this project off the ground after like years of like, I I mean, I remember reading about it in like wizard magazine in the nineties, like James Cameron's going to do, you know, battle angel Alita, this, this cool manga. And like, I was, Mm. I was stoked for it. And, uh, like, man, I, I thought it just, it, Oh, it like just heebie jeebies, like just the way it, uh, 
the way it looked um mm. like tons of uncanny valley tons of just like very 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 digital looking stuff happening um like really garish colors and things washed out and things not looking lit well like it was just ugh. Yeah, my my son who's twelve, he loves T two, uh, uh, Terminator two, Judgment yeah. Day, and awesome. uh, it's one of his favorite movies. And so he frequently, when we're watching stuff, will be like, you know, uh, he doesn't phrase it exactly this way, but essentially the sentiment is, it's two thousand twenty two. Like, why does this not look at least as good as T two, or why does T two <laughs> look better than this? You know, that's um, a great and, question about most things. Yeah, and probably applicable to uh, to Alita. I was just thinking of that because of the Cameron, you know, involved. Yeah, but yeah. I haven't seen Alita: Battle Angel. Um, I've, I, I, I'm not sure what to think of it. I mean, I, I guess I should watch it, and then I'd know what to think <laughs> of it. But, um, yeah. you know, just based on like the way people react to it, because well, I'm, you know, I've, I saw the trailer a few times in the theater or whatever, and I was like whoa this looks bad like i and i was like <laughs> laughing at it like wow yeah like, the trailer makes me really sure i don't want to watch this you know but then sometimes i'll see people talking about it like it's amazing so i get a little confused on how to feel um i do want to say though that the character drash who is the one played by sophie thatcher the lead mm-hmm. biker gang girl i think she looks mm-hmm. great like i don't think anything about her look is out of place. I don't think anything about it looks cheap. I don't think any, anything about it looks like, you know, uh, too corny or whatever. So, um, they nailed it with, with her look. Uh, I think her cybernetic compatriots, um, look a little goofy a lot of times. Um, but I also think like the show clearly put the emphasis on her and I'm hoping that going forward, like it'll be more of a, you know, like when those characters are involved, she's the one that's being emphasized and she's the one we're, we're really spending time with. And, and the other characters are kind of flanking her more so. Um, and that's mostly how it is in this episode, but we'll, we'll see where it goes with that. Yeah. I think, um, with her, her character and like, I, I don't know, like maybe, maybe it's just kind of like biased, but like she has this like very, uh, runaways era Joan Jett vibe to her um and I think that's just really cool and I just you know I really like that I I like the runaways I like Joan Jett um you know I I like that look but I also can like kind of see like people being like yeah I don't know if like black leather jackets are like really something you know we we see in Star Wars like just like Mm -hmm. kind of like a plain black leather jacket like there's usually like some other stuff kind of like happening with it um but so like i don't i don't know i think that's i can kind of see why people are like reacting negatively to even her Mm -hmm. um but also like i kind of like it so (laughs) i don't i don't i don't know (laughs) Yeah, I think she looks cool, and I think that her her look is is nondescript enough that you know it's. I mean, it's fine if you don't like it or you don't think it fits into Star Wars or whatever, but it's not like hitting you over the head with the look mm-hmm. on the level that the other the other members of her gang are. You know what I mean? Um, they are very uh, heightened and very like in your face about the look. Where you know, I think I don't know. Um, 
if 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 the camera was like tracking its way through the cantina and she was one of the you know uh patrons in in the cantina you you wouldn't really like be like oh my god look at her you know what i mean but any of her friends any of her biker gang friends like you'd be like what who is that person like you know they would stand mm-hmm. out and you'd be like uh you know so i think if nothing else like i i feel like as a background character or whatever she could pass where she wouldn't like draw an, a crazy amount of attention to herself just because of her look. Um, and maybe if that's the litmus, that, that's like the test for me right there, you know, like, uh, does it feel super star Wars? I don't know, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I think it can fit. It can, it can, you know, it can, it can pass uh, for me for sure. I think it looks really cool. I, but like you said, I think I just, am, you know, kind of pre like uh, disposed to like her look or whatever, you know? So I was like, yeah, cool. yeah. So, and I think, you know, I think something to kind of consider is um, when we initially saw like it was like a month ago that we first saw her character mm-hmm. um, and we saw her in action and we saw the bike. And mm-hmm. I don't think there was like very much controversy around oh, it. People were at the freaking time. out like they loved it. Like, yeah. And and I think like I mean there was there was no like hey this doesn't look like Star Wars or anything and yeah. so I I do think there's like there isn't really anything inherently wrong with her design or the bike that you know would make you know that would be like a red flag for people I think it is it really comes down to some of the stuff around it um like her her crew and then also mm-hmm. just how that scene was executed that yes. really really made it stand out because yes. no one was mad about zippers a month ago <laughs> yeah uh fair enough cool okay well let's 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 move like into other parts of the episode and then we're gonna we're gonna come back to this uh bitcoin biker gang and spend <laughs> uh, some more time on them but um i guess well, I just said we should move on, but the thing is, um, like kind of the takeaway or the, the result of this, this sequence is that, you know, Boba Fett says, you're going to come work for me. You know, if, if mm-hmm. I'm the daimyo and if you're not being taken care of here or there's nothing for you here, then I'm going to correct that. He says that you've got guts or something like that to them and, and says, come, you know, come with me. Um, he also pays, uh, the water, uh, salesperson um, back for the water they stole, but he just pays them a fraction of it, um, and uh, and says like you need to lower your 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 prices. So his way of uh, of resolving that situation is is basically to say um, I'm going to give you Bitcoin bikers um, a job and uh, water guy stop ripping everybody off. Um, mm-hmm. And which is, you know, a good approach, I think. Um, so, but it's also another example of like, this is something we're seeing that Boba Fett is doing uh, a lot um, as a leader is like trying to bring people in um, and, uh, and, and kind of like take care of people um, to earn their loyalty. And, uh, and you know, um, he, he does that with the Gamorreans and um, he's, he's doing that now with this gang and, He's going to do it later in the episode with a uh, black Kersantin to a certain extent. So that seems to be his way of leadership, right? Is to, uh, to try to solve people's problems and, and kind of get them on his team rather than 
go to war with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so then after that, we go into the flashback portion of this episode. Uh, I thought, Ryan, that that symbol um, that was being graffitied around and stuff was the Pikes symbol. But it turns mm-hmm. out it is the, it is the symbol of this uh, this other the speeder gang, I guess we'd call them the Nikto gang. The Nick, yeah, um, the ones he tore up in uh, Tashi Station in the previous mm-hmm. episode. But there's more of them, I guess. And uh, so in the flashback sequence, he rides Abantha into town to talk to the Pikes and says, "Pay me," you know. Um, and uh, the Pikes are like, "Well." we already have a protection arrangement with um, that uh, Nikto speeder gang. So we can't have one with you. Um, that's what our, our bosses tell us back on our home planet. And so the Boba Fett's like, okay, well then I will take care of them. You don't have to worry about them anymore. I will take care of them. And after I do, I will be back um, to get my uh, protection money from you. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems like that deal's going to work out. Uh, the Pikes seem to be fine with that, but um, sadly, when Boba Fett gets back to the camp, um, the Tuscans have all been uh, murdered, and um, we see that symbol. Um, I think we see that symbol graffitied or painted somewhere there, right? So we know who did it. Do you remember if we see it or not? I think we do. Oh, uh, I don't, I don't remember. And and I will say that this episode does the thing that I don't like. And I think Robert Rodriguez did it in his first episode as well. And I don't think Steph Green did it in the second episode, but it does the thing where it's like, we're going to show you the, maybe she did do it in her episode too, actually, now that I say that, but like, we have to have like footage of, of the, the graffiti being done. And we had to like show you flashback footage of this, you know, biker gang or whatever. Um, so that you understand the connection. I can't stand that. Um, I complained mm-hmm. about it, uh, it famously. Uh, when we talked about the first episode of book of Boba Fett, and then mm-hmm. I, I was going to mention it on the show last week, I forgot, but, uh, I recently watched the, well, I watched the most recent season of Cobra Kai and that show Cobra Kai, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you want to talk about a show that feels like TV, like budget and TV style acting and just very TV. Uh, it's super TV, but God, they do it nonstop. <laughs> they do it like four times per episode. They're constantly showing footage from the Karate Kid movies and even previous seasons of the, of the show. Um, and they just like, just boom, edit it right into the middle of episodes all the time. And I just stylistically, I, I hate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so they do that again um, in this episode. They have to show us things from from the past so we know uh, kind of what the connection is. But anyway, that's that's um, not really the most important part of this <laughs> sequence. The, the more important part is that, um, yeah, all these Tuscans have been murdered. So um, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so... I think, um, like, I'm still kind of at the point where, um, you know, where this is a a long form storytelling. So, um, you know, I want to kind of give the benefit of the doubt that things are, you know, going going to be handled and, you know, um, 
handled uh, <laughs> through through the rest of the show. Um, but I do, you know, I think it's when you when you're making statements and you know drawing parallels between um, you know indigenous nomadic people in star wars and ones in the in our in our world um i think that's something that you know needs to be handled with you know a bit of tact and um i think just having um the uh these after you know after everything that's happened with the Tuscans, um, having, having them just kind of like unceremoniously killed off screen and, you know, a, a 45 second flashback to just show us that that happened, um, feels, it doesn't feel great. Um, you know, just as far as the, like it, I mean, it works for the plot of the story. Like if you just, you know, if you just need someone for Boba to be mad at, or if you need, you know, Boba to feel like, oh, I was trying to help, but, you know, me trying to help has, like, caused this pain. Like, if you just need that, like, that's fine. But I think when you look at it as, like, you know, as a as a representation issue, um, it, you know, the, the follow-through here is not good. And I'm hoping... I'm hoping that they don't just like leave it at this and then it's just like Boba going out and getting revenge or something. Um, I hope there is some like, you know, some more some more thought to this. And um, I don't even know what they could do, (laughs) but um, I think that left uh, that left a pretty bad taste in my mouth. And I know in in some others as well. Yeah, Um, yeah, I can see that. I don't know. I can see that. I mean, part of me thinks, I, I don't know. I'm not sure where they should have gone with the story um, of, of these Tuscans. I mean, I think, you know, primarily what uh, they're aiming to do here is show that like, you know, Boba Fett um, is like all of this flashback stuff. A lot of it anyways, is him failing at things. And uh, you know, one of the things that they emphasized in the second episode was that like, Hey, we've always hidden because that's what we have to do. And he's like, well, you shouldn't have to do that. You should fight back. Um, and in the, in, in the second episode, we get this, like, I mean, a lot of them were killed in that train sequence, but we get this like triumphant thing where they take out the aggressor. They, they take them on and they win. Um, and, and you get that, like that triumph. Um, and then, you know, uh, it's like another failure on his part because like, this is like really bad on his part because, you know, he, he basically told them, no, 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 you shouldn't have to hide. We're going to fight. And then as a result, they are all murdered. Right. So, um, and I know you, you acknowledge that when you talked about the, the plot component of it. Um, but then it's just like, I, I don't know, I guess like maybe just not using them, uh, any further would be the thing to do. Um, or, or just, you know, leaving it with like, okay, Boba Fett learned a lot from, from these Tuscans and, and then he's going to move on. But, um, cause it's like, I, I don't know, like if, uh, like historically speaking, if, if we think about, 
you know, like the genocide of native people in, in the United States and things like that. Like, I don't know. Uh, a lot of times there was a tragic, you know, ending in a situation like this. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, I know, uh, like, well, you said it doesn't feel good. And, uh, I guess that's true. And, um, you know, but part of me thinks like, that's the point. Um, and I don't know, I guess, I guess, uh, you know, you, you kind of stating like, Hey, let's see where it goes is, uh, maybe the best approach. Cause it does, I guess, depend on, on what they do with it going forward. But, um, you know, I thought it was very tragic. I thought it was like very sad. I could see, I, I can definitely see the complaint too, though. Of, like, it's like, it, it, what is it like two minutes of him mm-hmm. looking really sad there? And then they just move on from it. Um, so, uh, it remains to be seen, I suppose, what else they do with it or how much emphasis they give it or other ways that they might, you know, kind of pay tribute to that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I just think like as a whole, like the show, the Mandalorian, and then now the book of Boba Fett has done, has paid so much more respect to these characters than ever before. Um, mm-hmm. and really like we talked about it, humanizing, um, you know, this, this whole like what uh race of characters in star wars and uh i think overall they've they've been very um eh, i don't know they've, they've paid them a lot more respect <laughs> and given mm-hmm. them a lot more uh thought than than has ever been done before so um yeah yeah i think it's i think but you know this is part of like this larger discussion about you know uh I guess like authentic representation versus like performative representation. And I think it's like, you know, to do the, I I think they have done some like really, really good stuff um, with, you know, this, this theme around, um, you know, displaced and like struggling indigenous people. Um, and like but that was kind of like the you know i don't want to say the easy part but like the um you know i think you need to also like if you're going to use this like you should be ready to follow through with like a you know a a complete arc and like give it the same you know sort of attention um, you know, throughout. And I think, you know, a, a lot of times, um, you know, in recent, in recent years in the Disney era, like they've, Star Wars has like brought in a lot of, uh, you know, diverse characters and diverse perspectives and then not always handled them, uh, super well in the end. Um, and like, you know, I think Star Wars is, good at and lucasfilm are good at being like hey check it out and then like everyone gets really excited and then like just kind of uh you know dropping the ball towards the end of characters stories um you know whether whether it be stuff with like rose or um you know in in um in solo and you know all these all these different examples um throughout the last few years and again we don't know we don't know where this is going but 
I do think, you know, it kind of comes back to the uh, an, another conversation is, you know, uh, we're still kind of like the the writer's room for Star Wars is still like, you know, primarily uh, consistently like white dudes. Um, and, you know, there's not much of like, you know, diversity in the in the writers rooms even though we there may be you know some behind the camera and um you know on screen for sure um you know there's i i feel like there's still some growing pains here where like i think if maybe you had you know someone you know writing with john favreau um you know who had like an indigenous perspective um they would, you know, be like, mm, maybe we could handle this a little different. Um, like, there's even this uh, this recent interview with the Hollywood Reporter, and uh, you know, with uh, Tamora Morrison, and he says, and I have it pulled up right here. He says, um, talking about the Tuscans, their portrayal was better than it was in the films. Morrison said. Then I read in the script that we were throwing dead bodies just on the fire. And I was going, Oh, hang on. We've got to put a bit of ceremony into this. Um, but they are the indigenous of the sands of Tatooine. And I was creating a little bit more history about their own culture. And I was pulling from my own culture in a way in terms of the ceremonies and preparing the warrior and preparing a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I think it's like fantastic that, Tem is there doing that and he is bringing so much to this show um like yeah just to be clear like none of my complaints with this show are with Tem at all um but I think like it also kind of sucks that like an actor on the set is having to like do a lot of like the heavy lifting on this stuff and being like wait actually you know let's let's do this and it's you know it's great they have his perspective there and it would you know that wouldn't be there if they had just like you know put put a white guy in the suit um for this for all this but yeah i don't know there's growing pains it's weird um i hope they uh you know i hope they kind of do better with it in this show and uh you know and kind of in the future mm-hmm yeah um yeah okay well we can leave it at that then um so uh how do they go from that flashback back to oh i know how they go to it okay so it's yeah so uh the the scene ends with him you know create uh cremating um the rest of the uh or i guess the, the remains of the the tuscan um uh tribe and, uh, and then he, um, he does, uh, take that branch out from like, he's got like a branch in his rope that he takes out and then throws on the fire too, which, um, I don't know. I wondered about that both times I watched the episode, like what the intention of that, that moment was. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that or not, what that was supposed to be, but the tree and the flashback or the, the kind of like surreal dream sequence or whatever in the second episode was such a like key part of that. Um, and then if, yeah, I didn't know what that was representative of, or did you, uh, did you notice that or 
have any thoughts on that? No, I'm not sure. And I wonder if that's like one of those things that um, Tamara was kind of talking about where um, he, uh, you know, wanted to add some mm-hmm. more to mm-hmm. what was like, you know, in the in the script to bring, you know, a little bit of, you know, obviously his his culture, um, you know, is, you know, in in New Zealand um, is not, you know, it's not a one to one with the. Uh, yeah. Um, what I think, you know, George intended the the Tuscans to be in, you know, in A New Hope. Like, there's there's not a one-to-one, but, like, I think... Well, I don't think George gets very much credit for what he intended the Tuscans to be. Like, I mean, this is a thousand times improvement of, like, the way they were presented in A New Hope, and then they're presented even worse in the prequels than they were in, the, in A New Hope. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, the only way the Tuscans are talked about in the prequels is as savages who are, like, you know, they're, they're completely one-dimensional in... Until the until the Mandalorian, you know, unless there's like comic stories or things that I don't know about, there probably are. But yeah. like in terms of the way they're presented in films, there there's no dimension to them at all. You know what I mean? They're they're just nameless, faceless villains who, you know, murder people. And I don't think George. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I missed something, but um, just kind of thinking back on the way they're presented in those movies, I don't I don't think there was any desire to explore you know like mm-hmm. their the way they fit into Tatooine or what they might be owed by Tatooine or anything like that you know oh absolutely and yeah so I mean I think like you know even just the term like Tuscan Raiders mm-hmm. like doesn't feel appropriate anymore because they're not they're not just like I mean I think that is like very one-dimensional it's like Viking Raiders like, you know, you picture a certain thing and it's not like a civilized people with like cultures. You picture people coming through and like destroying and killing and taking. I picture Eric and Ivar. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's the Raiders thing, like that's a Western trope, you know, and it's straight out of the searchers and stuff like that. And I think that's mm-hmm. what George was doing was just kind of. Uh, taking that and in uh, and, and, and putting it in his Star Wars and then like what happens in, in in this episode and in the book of Boba Fett, I guess, overall is, you know, looking at the Raiders from a completely different perspective, like one that respects them and, and mm-hmm. humanizes them and looks at their side of the struggle, um, which is not something that, you know, I mean, some Westerns do that, obviously, but a lot of times they don't. And, uh, you know, so that's uh at least a, i guess uh a, a vast improvement over what star wars has done with the tuscans in the past you know yeah and i think that's like something that should be said about like you know the the western influence in uh star wars is like you know there's you know those are those are it's an important genre of film um also a lot of westerns really racist uh <laughs> A lot of those movies super racist mm-hmm. um and yeah but i think going back to the tamara morrison thing um i think he um you know it's it's not a one-to-one like his you know his indigenous background compared to what the intent was initially with the 
the Tuscan Raiders, but I think like he has just like brought so much to it and he's like starting to kind of like define it. And I think that's like, that's really cool and really special. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, massive, massive props to Tim there. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, also really cool and very special is uh, Black Chrysanthemum ripping Tamora Morrison out of his back to tank and throwing him across the room, which is how we get back into the contemporary portion of this episode. Um, yeah, Chrysanthemum comes and attempts to uh, kill Tamora Morrison. He comes very close to doing uh, that, um, although uh, Boba Fett gets, did I say he almost kills tomorrow Morrison almost kills Boba <laughs> Fett. Um, he gets close to doing that, but, uh, Boba Fett does get a good, a nice, like bite in on, uh, on black Chrysanthemum's hand. Uh, <laughs> nice, uh, nice furry bite there. Um, but, uh, of course, Boba Fett is saved by the people that, uh, that he tried to help earlier in the episode, the, um, Bitcoin biker gang, um, Drash comes in with a, with a blade and stabs him. And then the other, um, biker gang, uh, you know, people come in and help, uh, help kind of, uh, fight him off as well. Um, if memory serves correctly, then, uh, Fennec Shan shows up and tells them like, Hey, use that trap door and, uh, put him down in that rancor pit. And, uh, that's what they do. Um, mm-hmm. I also noticed that she has like a little blade that she pulled off of the, the, off of her blaster. Um, which uh, I think is present on the $110 nerf Boba Fett blaster that is, uh, was just announced this week. So there's some definitely nice for kids, some nice synergy there. Stars yeah. stars is for 12 year olds. Just like, kids like always to buy intended. $110 nerf blasters. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just a cool action sequence. Um, I think this action sequence was, uh, was well done and pretty visceral and, uh, and it was, uh, Definitely a, a, a cool idea to to have the sort of like out of nowhere Chrysanthemum attacking him in his uh, back to tank. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of those things that sucks because like I'm using sucks a lot this episode. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I apologize. What sucks about uh, this? <laughs> um, you can fix it in post. Use the uh, the sucks edit. No, I'm just um, generally curious like what sucks about this scene. I'm, I'm waiting for that. Oh, okay. Is like I... Like I, I love Black Chrysanthemum, and I, like I'm so stoked to see him in this show. Um, but this coming like directly after that, um, that flashback sequence, and like Star Wars is full of like constant tonal whiplash. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's Star Wars. Like someone, someone dies, and everyone's like, oh, and then like it's just like, hey, <laughs> laser swords, uh, and you know um and like that's but like i was i was feeling like really weird and kind of bad after that flashback and also like really unfulfilled (laughs) and then like and then it cut to like this cool action sequence with like a character i'm like really excited about and uh it didn't feel as good as it could i Mm. guess and that was kind of a bummer okay yeah gotcha Um, All right. Well, so uh, after that, um, we get the Hut twins back, uh, which is cool. Uh, Uh They show up again um, outside and uh, basically they come and say that, yeah, we sent him to kill you. That was (laughs) our bad uh, since it didn't work, I guess. (laughs) Um, uh, um, Since it didn't work. So 
you know, sorry about that. We're going to take off. Like Tatooine is like, it's not worth our time basically. Right. We're Mm -hmm. out of here. Um, and, uh, that's an interesting development. Um, one wonders if they're actually out of there or not. I mean, I guess they are, but, uh, I (laughs) I don't don't know. know. It was, that's such a weird exchange. And I kind of like that about it. Like Mm -hmm. you, um, you don't really, you don't, you don't really know what they're saying. Um, because you know, they've, you know, these kind of, uh, these kind of folks, they, uh, they, they speak in riddles and there's a lot between the lines, um, to like infer. Um, and, uh, I don't, I mean, maybe they're just like, nope, peace out. (laughs) We're, we're out. And like, you know, the, the creators are like, yep, we used up our hut budget. (laughs) they're gone Mm. uh yeah and uh or i think i i think we'll see them again um because that's that's kind of how how i read that was like uh oh you won uh you know we we made some mistakes congratulations you got this cool Mm -hmm. uh here's here's you can do whatever you want with this wookie see ya um but i think that was probably some uh some hot mischief mm. is what I think it is. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Yeah, but maybe they've teamed up with somebody else in the on the sly, and yeah, gotcha. Yeah, because when they're they're like this is like you know their their relative like owned this, and like this yeah. is you know had staked their claim here, and I. I don't know. I don't, it, it seems weird that they would just like give it up so easily. And I think, I think they'll be back and be like, you think we were really going to give up, you know, this mm-hmm. land that was, that we were entitled to. Do you think the baby Rancor and Danny Trejo could be like a, a plant? You know what I mean? Ooh. Like, like that's actually like a, a gift designed to kill Boba Fett or something like that. Yeah. I think that yeah, might be I, what they were doing with that. Cause it's, it's a weird gift. Like we're going to give you this baby rancor and a keeper to train him, you know? Um, and the, uh, you know, the rancor keeper makes a big, like, like they talk a lot about the loyalty of it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, well, what if, what if Boba Fett's not the first person that laid eyes on, or what if, you know, I don't know. I just feel like they're the, the and they really give a lot of time to Boba Fett, like petting and, loving up on this baby <laughs> rancor you know yeah um, no complaints there no but i mean like if it turns out that that rancor yeah. turns on him that would be pretty um pretty shocking and it would be you know pretty painful for boba fett especially because as as i you know pointed out earlier and as i'm sure everyone you know it's not like a big you know unique observation or anything but he's he's really wants people to think of him as a good leader and he really wants to like win them over and bring them in under his tent. You know what I mean? And like, we've seen him do that with, uh, you know, the Gamorians, we've seen it with the Bitcoin biker gang. Um, he mm-hmm. lets Chrysanthemum go when he could sell Chrysanthemum or, you know, whatever. And he's just like, no, no hard feelings. He didn't, he didn't use mate this time, which bummed me out, but he said like, no hard feelings, you know, whatever, <laughs> like take off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll see what happens with, with Chris Anton, but I would think he would be willing to help Boba Fett out down the road if, if need be, you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, that's just like his style. 
so I think if this baby rancor was to, you know, betray him, um, then that'd be a bummer for, for Boba Fett who wants, uh, who wants everybody to be on his side, you know? Yeah. Which is, I, it's just a funny statement to say about Boba Fett out loud, you know, it now. Is. <laughs> um, yes. not really the way we would have thought about him in the past, but, uh, but that's the you deal know, at this point. Boba Fett, he's just looking for validation and family, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think the the Rancor thing's interesting because, you know, you definitely shouldn't look a gift Rancor in the mouth, but it also <laughs> could be a Trojan Rancor. That's so. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Well, um, what happens from there? Um, he gets, uh, he's hanging out with the Rancor, really trying to become best friends with this Rancor. Um, good and stuff then, here. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, 8D8 comes in and uh, is like, hey, we got to talk. And he's like, not now. I'm hanging out with my new Rancor. Yes. And he's like, well, we just found out the mayor is going to be gone for a while. Um, he's taken off. And so then Boba Fett's like, okay, I got to deal with this. Um, give the baby Rancor a full carcass of something or other. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so Boba Fett, and, and, and as, as the episode wraps up here, Boba Fett, uh, Fennec Shand and the Bitcoin biker gang all head into Mos Espa to find Mok Shais, Um And we get the major domo back and we get the burrito guy back again, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the mayor is nowhere to be found, but they realize that the mayor, the major domo is, is trying to take off. So uh, a speeder chase ensues. Um one of the slowest chase scenes I've ever seen. In <laughs> yeah, life. chase feels like a stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the major domo, like in his speeder, trying to speed away or whatever, is kind of funny, and uh, and and there's something to that that's enjoyable. Uh, but man, the execution of this scene, it is so slow and just feels like so. Oh man, it's yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I mean. The choreography of it, like the, I guess the, the sequence of shots and stuff is fine, but it just always feels so slow. And then they do like this cheesy thing with the camera once in a while where they do like a, like a, a small, like zoom in to try to like create the idea of energy or a feeling mm-hmm. of like speed or energy or something that looks really bad. And just like overall, I'm sorry. Like, I just think this chasing sucks. Like, um, <laughs> it's just so slow and just bad. It's just not, man. And star Wars, like, come on, we have the pod race and we've got like great, like dog fights between tie fighters and X wings. And, you know, the original star Wars worked in, in part because of the, the feeling of intensity of the, the, um, the, the trench run on the death star. And mm-hmm. like, you really just can't just do like a, a slow, flaccid chasing in star wars that's not that's not gonna work it does not work it's bad yeah it was like a like a funeral procession (laughs) um but like yeah i think like the the chase at in towards the beginning of solo which is like an actual like in Mm -hmm. one of these speeders um Mm -hmm. like that felt a lot uh that felt like pretty pretty intense and fast yeah Um, yeah, and I would think that Ron Howard's a better, uh, or I guess at least I wouldn't be shocked if Ron Howard directed something better than um, Robert Rodriguez in most cases. But mm-hmm. like, this seems like the thing that Rodriguez ought to be able to knock out of the park. You know what I mean? This seems like yeah. his, this is his thing, you know? But um, it, uh, not this time. 
No, no. It um and so I think this uh kind of really because of the execution really just kind of accentuates um the the weirdness of the the Bitcoin bikers and their uh their bikes mm-hmm. um in particular. Um the the bikes kind of like look out of place in the same way the characters look out of place in this chase sequence um cuz they look uh look a little a little bit gaudy and i think that's kind of just accentuated by the um like kind of poor pacing of of this and uh the just it's it's just it's you're right it's it's very just like weirdly shot like i had no idea what was going on i had no sense of like place or like challenges or like obstacles or like anything the stuff like you know chase sequences like um you know it's it's funny like i um i'm thinking back to when i saw the film baby driver in the theater Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. ahead ahead of seeing that um at alamo they had this like curated like edgar wright section where he's like these are my favorite chase sequences of all time and it was like all stuff from like movies from like the 60s and i was like oh wow these are wow these are like really intense and like really good and like i didn't i didn't know you could do that in the 60s kind of thing because like i hadn't seen any of these films and um and yeah i was like wow that's that's really cool and then like again i guess like to 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 quote to quote your son like it's 2022 like mm. why don't why don't chase sequences look as good as like the italian job or something yeah. um yeah it's just it's it's really baffling and i think it just because that scene is just so poor that like it i think that does have an effect i i think if that was like a really good chase scene and like just looked and felt good I maybe there'd still be the complaints about the the bikes and the gang and stuff, but maybe they'd be lessened a little bit. Like if this chasing was as good as like the train heist in episode two, I I think there'd be like less complaints. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So okay. Uh, Robbo for 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 those who listen to the Steelverse podcast, you may know Robbo from there. Um, or if you listen to the Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast, uh, he is the host of that podcast as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I commented on, on one of his posts um, about this. Uh, he posted um, a, uh, a GIF from The Simpsons that says they're getting away very slowly. Um, <laughs> and, and I responded and just said I was shocked by how slow it was. Um, he said, uh, he thinks they were using real vehicles on a small cluttered back lot and that there probably wasn't a way to go faster. Um, but that, you know, basically Rodriguez probably shouldn't have known better, um, than mm. to try to do it that way. And, uh, I thought that was a, an astute, um, observation on his part and probably, uh, probably true, you know, cause there's gotta be some, like, it can't just be lack of ability to pull off a fast looking chase scene, right? Like we've seen it many times and, in many movies, we've seen it in Star Wars a lot. We've seen it in um, recent Star Wars projects. Like they can, they can make a chase scene look fast, right? So, um, 
it, but it, it very well could be that they did it on a small um, set, you know? Um, and I think that they made the wrong choice in doing it that way. I don't know how they could have done it otherwise, like green screen, the whole thing. And, and um, I'm sure there's, there's ways they could have done it that would have, uh, had it coming off looking better than it did because it looked awful. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to point that out because yeah. I thought that was a, a good observation on his part and, and probably is. And I mean, it makes sense to me, you know, that they they really tried to sh- uh, shoot it like on a little tiny set and, uh, you know, for safety reasons and practical reasons, they couldn't really have the speeders moving too quickly and you can tell, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, but like, you know, there's there are like green screen chase sequences in Star yeah. Wars. You know, you've got. That's what I mean. They, they just chose the wrong like, method. I think. A, Attack of the Clones. Um, <laughs> but I think you know that you know that Coruscant chase. I think you know, regardless of like the technology used, I think that does a good job of like giving you know you constantly have a perspective. You you're like tracking and following what's happening you kind of know like a sense of place in um you know the the action and i i feel like beyond this just like not looking good like it just it just didn't feel like sequenced and like edited Mm. and i don't i don't want to say shot because like i think it was probably shot okay (laughs) like on like the on the most basic level but like the 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 storytelling of a chase sequence just like wasn't there like it was just a bunch of like shots <laughs> kind of yeah it just uh, it didn't feel very cohesive yeah i think it felt claustrophobic you know and maybe that's the reason it didn't feel like you said like you don't get the sense of place and all that but again if it was shot in a tiny little set you know you said you know regardless of the technology i don't think it's regardless of the technology i think like you know, if, if they had done a more like green screen, CG, whatever chase sequence, like attack of the clones, they didn't go anywhere to do that attack of the clones chase sequence, right? Like there's, there's no set. It's, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to go back and watch the attack of the clones behind the scenes stuff to know exactly what they did, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not on location. You know what I mean? Um, but if this was done on location, um, then, you know, that kind of limits the, especially if it's done on a small location, that kind of limits the amount of, uh, uh, of, of, you know, space and kind of sense of place that they can create if, if they choose to do it only that way, you know what I mean? So, um, clearly like there's ways to do this, multiple ways to do it. And neither one of us are, are experts on, on any of that. But, um, but I feel like, again, like to me, it's like, it comes back to a choice. Like, cause I think they have the technical ability, the cape, I think the director has the ability to shoot this kind of sequence and, and edit it and sequence it and do all that. Like, I, I think it might be a budget thing, you know, that it was like, let's just do it on this like little location we already have kind of set up or whatever. But in any case, it just comes off looking bad. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't work. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, on the topic though, of the, of the, of the speeders, like the, the Bitcoin biker gangs bikes or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, I kind of like them. Uh, I I do kind of like them. Uh, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, contradictory or, you know, whatever. I think they're kind of fun and, uh, I I don't hate them. Um, I think they look out of place though. And, uh, this might've been my brother who said this too. I can't remember who I was talking to, but 
I would say that like they are so bright and like saturated and um, the location and like the look of the show overall is not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it just like, it really feels like they went in and were like, all right, let's like boost the, the color and saturation of these bikes and like, you know, really like amp that up while leaving everything else the same look. And, you know, it's like, okay, from a design perspective, do they look good or do they seem like they fit into the universe? Like, that's a question, even though I kind of like them, I would say, no, they don't really seem like they fit in, you know, but Mm -hmm. like, that's one question. But then I think just like from an, uh, an execution or like actual carrying it out, like in the, in the show, they, it really feels like somebody went in and just turned up the colors on those bikes and left everything else. Mm -hmm. And, and that's jarring, you know what I mean? Um, and again, that stylistically or whatever, that must've been a a choice. Like, this is what we want. We want it to look jarring. We want it to look like way bright colors, like way brighter than everything else around. Um, I think it's too much. I think, I think with the look of the biker gang characters, the, the ones that, you know, the, the, not Drash, but the rest of them, I think they needed to like dial that back a good 20%, 30%, whatever, and have mm-hmm. it look for it to look better. And I think with these speeder bikes too, like I don't mind a like 50s, 60s, you know, kind of mod, uh, you know, inspired design for these. And I don't mind that they look a little, you know, bit out of our world and, and, and whatever. Like, I don't, I don't mind that stuff too much. Um, but I think, you know, whoever was, making final decisions and choices and stuff on this, like really just needed, like the idea is okay, but I think pull it back a little bit because it's just pushed too far to the point where, yeah, I don't think it works the way that it could have. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, I, I like this idea on paper and I think I Mm -hmm. probably would like how it's communicated on Favreau's script. Um, with like the Mm. gang, the bikes, you know, I could see him being like, okay, it's kind of like this, like, like Vesca, Vespa, you know, mixed with like muscle car vibe, um, you know, mixed with like, you know, sixties motorcycle gangs, you know, all the, all this stuff. Like I, like, I think the intent was good. I think it, you know, a big draw of star Wars and a big thing that differentiated it from, you know, other sci-fi cause you know, star Wars was not the first uh, science fiction uh, franchise or film or, you know, TV serial or anything. Um, but what really made it special was this, you know, the concept of a lived in universe and where, you know, the, everything like things are weird. Things are, you know, you see like, allusions to things in our world but it's also kind of alien and you know everything's just a little bit you know dirty and shitty too (laughs) um and then you know then later we would go and we'd you know a big complaint people had with the prequels is like especially you know um episodes one and two were like whoa everything is like way too shiny and nice and you know there was there was a point to that um but like here we're kind of at that point again where it's like well everything is really shiny and nice with these biker you know these bikers and their bikes and 
it actually doesn't really make sense because if they're like street kids, you know, uh, street urchins, you know, they're all, you know, Aladdin, like they, why, why is everything about them like so shiny and crisp in, you know, I would push back on that though. Cause like, if you think about like, uh, Greece or, you know, like, the outsiders and, you know, stuff like from the fifties and sixties or inspired by the fifties, even American graffiti, like Mm -hmm. in those movies, regardless of your economic status, like your car is going to look good. Right. Like that is the thing, like it's cruising culture. Like that's what you're into. Like you might not have a great place to live. You may not have any money to spend, you know, whatever, but you're going to make sure your ride is looking fresh as hell you know what i mean so yeah i think from that perspective like i can totally see it i could see that too but like does that fit into star wars like if you're lifting that like wholesale like is that something that like well, totally fits like that concept because it is very true in like what you're what you're describing but like does that fit in star wars i guess i mean yes and no uh it's a, it, it, I mean, the whole concept of this is definitely like a, uh, an odd marriage, you know what I mean? Like definitely, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, but as Kevin pointed out, our friend Kevin in our, our discussion, like, I think it fits more than Dexter's diner and I love Dexter's diner, you know what I mean? But it was like, yeah, I mean, dude, it's straight up like Jawa juice and for, I mean, I mean, that is so, <laughs> this is like, I'm talking about dialing things back 10 or 20% or whatever. This is 10% of Dexter's diner. Like it's not anywhere near as weird as that. Not even close. It's so much more neatly integrated into this than the fifties diner with fifties diner music playing with a fifties diner waitress. Like everything (laughs) about that was so absurd. Um, And, you know, I think like, yeah. And actually I think like even the, even the, the the cantina or the bar or whatever from that opening sequence in Attack of the Clones with all the neon everywhere and everything, like mm-hmm. that's more outlandish than this is, you know? So does it fit into Star Wars? Uh, not, not, no, not really. But then also like it's by far not the worst example of, of this kind of thing, I think too, you know? See, I, I would, I would argue in defense of Attack of the Clones and Dex's Diner that... I love Dex's Diner. I love Dex's <laughs> Diner. That Does it fit in Star Wars, though, those are two different questions. That scene, it's it's a stretch. It's a big stretch. However, I think it is, you know, it's grounded by, you know, it being like really crucial to the plot. And also, like, as with many things in the prequels, uh, you know, kind of saved by Obi-Wan and his and Ewan McGregor's performance. Um, that, you know, I, I watched that, that sequence, you know, I just watched attack of the clones a few days ago and, you know, I watched that sequence and it's just like, oh man, just the way Obi-Wan is reacting and emoting. And I think he was reacting to a CG character. I don't remember. Was Dex. uh, Oh yeah. He's CG. Yeah. 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 And CG. And I was just like, appreciating like, there's, there's, sorry, there's a great, like, I don't know if it's a GIF or if it's just a photo, but there's like a great, um, really funny like shot of Obi-Wan just hugging the air. You know what I mean? Like Ian McGregor just wrapping <laughs> okay. his arms around the air, like when he yeah. would be hugging Dexter. Uh, yeah. And so I think that kind of just goes back to, um, you know, 
I think, yeah, Dex's diner is a lot and it's a stretch, but I think that scene is generally good. Um, and I think it generally like fits in the film and, you know, is it's important to the film and there's like a good performance in there. And I think that kind of goes back to my point. Like, I think if all this stuff was just executed better, it may not seem as jarring. Yeah. And if it felt more crucial to the story, because also we didn't need this chase sequence. I, I think you're overselling how much we need the Dexter's diner scene though. Like, okay. He goes to Dexter's diner and he finds out that the dart was a, a Camino saber dart. Like, you really don't have to create a 50s diner for one small piece of information. Oh, the dart came from Camino. Like there's a million ways to do that. And like that scene is not, it's, it's, there's not much to that scene besides like, you know, it came from Camino. I think like, I think the Dexter's diner scene is good. And I think that does the look of that location fit into star Wars. Not really. I think this scene sucks. And I think does the look of the speeder bikes fit into star Wars not really, but just to not nearly like it's it's a better fit than the like the diner and other things is all I'm saying. So like, you know, do I, I love the scene in Attack of the Clones? I love it. I don't want to take that out. I don't want it mm-hmm. to like be changed. I think it's great. But I guess yeah, it's it's the point that you're making is like, is the question really do these speeder bikes fit in Star Wars or not? You know what I mean? Like, not really. The question is, is the scene any good? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's not that good. But is it because of the speeder bikes? No, not really. Yeah. Like that's the speeder bikes aren't the problem. And and they, they're probably going to be part of future episodes and they're probably going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like, I guess people might hate them forever now because, um, as you said, they were introduced in this scene that's not really that well executed. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't mind them, you know, <laughs> I still don't like the scene very much, but I don't mind the bikes. Yeah, I I mean, I think they could have maybe gone through like another uh, another kind of like lot check, another look through, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sure, be- sure, sure, before sure. I think, you know, get get, you know, maybe maybe another like Doug Chang sketch on a napkin or something could have like tweaked it a little bit more. Because <laughs> um, I mean, I got to say, I, I don't I don't love the 80 mirrors. Uh, the 80 mirrors kind of creep me out. Um, but uh yeah, I think the design of these things is worth it just to see, like, just for like twenty four hours to just have nonstop Back to the Future two, you know, gifs and uh, neutrinos. Sure. Kevin compared them to the neutrinos from um, the Ninja Turtles animated show, which I haven't heard anybody else say that, and I think that might be that's the best. a good one. That's, that's a good really one. good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. I think mm. uh, where it goes is a very good question right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, uh, this show is eight episodes, right? Seven, seven, seven. episodes. So yeah. we're at the halfway point. Uh, yeah. Do you Almost. see this story being resolved in a satisfying way in four more episodes? I think, or do you think there's going to be a season two? Well, two different questions there. Um, I think it could, um, I, I heard Rodriguez and one of the, you know, read one of the articles about the show before the season launched. And he was asked about that. And he's like, I think if it's a big success, we could definitely do a season two or something. So, you know, there's, there's definitely a possibility there uh, for a second season of this. So we'll see. Um, but this episode ends with the Pikes showing up and the, um, one of the, 
the gentleman in the biker gang with the cybernetic eye uh, <laughs> and a pretty bad joke about that. Oh, um, <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. Oh, why? But anyway, um, <laughs> it's more it's pretty funny though, either way. But anyway, um, yeah. uh, there's a bunch of pikes showing up on planet and um, Fennec Shand is like, okay, well, better be ready for war. We're going to war or something like that. So I think that the flashbacks will be greatly reduced going forward. Um, I'm sure we'll get more, but I don't think you know, um, I don't think it's going to be 50, 50, like sometimes I can't remember if it was the first episode or the second, but one of them was like way more, maybe both actually were more flashback than, you know, present day. Yeah. And this both, one, both this were, one, I would say. okay. This one flipped that around where it was definitely more present day than flashback. And <laughs> I feel like, yeah. oh, well, I, I feel like we'll get very little flashback going forward. Like, I mean, we might have flashback every episode. I don't know, but if we do, I think it'll be like 20% or less of the episode. And then it'll be, um, you know, contemporary story going forward. And I think it's going to be like this, you know, crime syndicate war. Uh, and yeah, I think they can resolve that in four episodes. Right. Um, yeah. Especially if some of them are like 45 minutes long, you know, you've got like, that's yeah. three to four hours. Even a Godfather movie is not that long, you know, or barely that long. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I think they can do it, especially with like way less uh, developed <laughs> um, synth crimes, you know. Well, I guess that's not true. I don't know. But it's it's a it's a more, you know, kind of pulpy surface level crime story anyway. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they can resolve it. Um, I don't know how it's going to be resolved or or, you know, I mean only four episodes left. It's not too many episodes left to squeeze in the, uh, the Han Solo appearance, but <laughs> I'm still thinking that's going to happen. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I just, I feel like we're, we're gearing up here at the end of this episode for it to get into more of the criminal underworld battle between these different, you know, groups, families, as they called them mm-hmm. in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to get, maybe more action heavy, um, probably less contemplative potentially going forward. Um, which I, I don't say that necessarily like that's a good thing, but I think, yeah, they'll, they'll probably be pretty f- plot and action focused episodes moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess we'll see. Um, the next episode should be a pretty good indicator. Cause I just like, I mean, obviously I guess, you know, they literally said, like, we'll go, we'll go to war. <laughs> so I guess, yeah. you know, that. But it also just it just doesn't it just doesn't feel like a like a major conflict yet. I don't know. They're mm-hmm. just. Yeah, I think like the stuff that's being done really well is, you know, the. Boba's development, um, I think, is like probably like the strongest um part like mm-hmm. his his character and his character being co- like completely redef- redefined after 40 years um is like pretty incredible um that's uh not something that really happens uh you know with with characters like you don't you know you don't have you know spider-man you know becoming a you know I guess a crime lord or something that's probably happened in some arc of the comics in the nineties or something. But, um, you know, these kind of like established characters, you don't really have them like completely 
changing who they are, um, you know, in major franchise characters. Um, so I think that's that's kind of like the big point of this show to me. But it's, um, you know, it's it, it feels a little messy with like what, you know, what the what the kind of like point of the mm. show will be and like what the major conflict and resolution will be like i don't even like i I don't even know what to speculate because i don't even know what to want <laughs> or what mm-hmm. will like feel feel right or feel good mm-hmm. so yeah it's a yeah it's yeah <laughs> we'll see well, i guess yeah i uh I'm enjoying the show more, definitely more than I thought I was going to like a couple months ago, you know, or mm. whatever, really even just going into it. So, um, but that being said, or I guess, you know, I didn't have super high expectations going in. And mm-hmm. if this show really sucked for me, it wouldn't have been that disappointing because I didn't have that high of expectations. And so far yeah. it's, it's exceeding my expectations for what I thought it was going to be. So um, I'm not too worried about it because you know, I just, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm enjoying watching it from week to week and, uh, and I'm, I'm, yeah, definitely curious to see what they do with it. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like when it's all, when, when it's all settled here, you know, in any, let's say a year from now after Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, Kenobi, Acolyte, you know, all these different shows, like I expect that this will be, not among my favorite of them, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. but that being said, I'm enjoying it. So yeah, I guess it's, it's not a super high pressure situation for me. Cause I'm not too worried about it just cause it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been better than I thought, um, so far. So, yeah, I think it's like Im- impressed me and infuriated me or disappointed me in ways that I did not expect, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. I guess is like, is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think like at the my guess is kind of at the end of it, it will be like this show was a good way to kind of, you know, reinvent Boba Fett as a character. Um, it will probably not be something I ever go back and watch again. Is is kind of my guess, because like I just I so far I like the story just isn't really that good. I mean, like the the plot part of it. Yeah, like Boba's development is good, but like I can, you know, I can take away from that and be like, yeah, this is, this is who Boba is now. That's cool. And like, but that's not like, oh man, I want to like relive these moments from this show. Yeah. But I bet you're going to go back and watch it when it, uh, when leading up to our big crossover Mandalorian Mandoverse like event in two years or whatever it'll be, you know, Mm. after another season of Mandalorian and Ahsoka and, you know, when it when it all comes comes to the when, head, yeah. Mandalorian Endgame. Yes, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll so. see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, I am looking forward to next week's episode. We're going to wrap this episode up here, and uh, we'll definitely be back next week to um, talk about the further adventures of the Bitcoin Biker Gang. So, <laughs> until then, uh, thanks very much for listening and. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You can find everything we do at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear from you, Um, especially on the topic of Dexter Steiner. um, You can email the show, blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com. 
or you can uh, message us, follow us on Twitter at Blockade Run. Or if um, you just want to talk to Ryan about Star Wars stuff, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at Viamalay, V-A-Y-A-M-A-L-A-Y. All right, cool. So uh, again, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the Republic.